Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is John David Kidd, who's head of POW at Hygiene's Theatre. Hi John, how's it going? Hey, hey, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Really good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, How is this? We were just talking about it briefly before we started, but like... What has this time been like for you? How have you found it? It's, it's, um, it's been bizarre. <laughs> um, this, this, I think there's been the, the bits that are the same or similar for everyone um, in terms of starting to recognise um, how I'm interacting with people or not um, and, and the kind of way my brain is working around that now. Um, and missing people um, in in real life, um, but I also I'm a I'm a, a dirty commuter, <laughs> so I live in Chepstow, and most of my work is in Cardiff, and uh, so I found an additional two hours a day mm. for what would have been my normal commute, um, and I've started using that for walking and running, and I'm loving that. Um, so it's that kind of weird positive that's come out of it all, yeah. um, a slight fear that at some point that's going to go again. It's really, really weird, isn't it, that some people, you know, who actually enjoy elements at this time and kind of feeling guilty because of that. Like, I, you know, you deal with it the way you deal with it. I don't think there's any need to feel guilty about it. Yeah. And it's, it is about self-care, isn't it? And finding and those ways that you can, you can support yourself, I guess. And how have you found being creative during this time? Oh. Tough. <laughs> really tough. <laughs> um, it's actually something we've been talking about in hijinks quite a lot as facilitators. Um, we've been running um, for our, our freelance staff. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I have a cough, so I will apologise. Um, we've been running what we've called tutor playgrounds. Um, so anyone who works as a freelancer on our um, drama foundations or academy courses um, we've been inviting them once a month to come to a Zoom space and just play and you can either lead or participate um, and experiment with how things work online and are continuing to work online um, and that's been really really useful we've recognised uh, it's, re- it's really tough <laughs> it's really tough to yeah. keep that creativity going and I guess it's that kind of dual balance of keeping it going for yourself so that you feel um, nourished by it, but also recognising we have um, participants and members who um, we're hopefully facilitating uh, an enjoyable (laughs) and meaningful space and experience for. And I guess there's a pressure that goes with that to make sure we're within the realms of what's physically possible online. yeah, doing them a, a good service. Definitely, I think, yeah, it's interesting you talk about that balance because um, I've been running, working with Muscle Mess for the last few weeks um, with the Carrie Ann Wheelchair and Callum Phillips, and we've been running Recap for the Young People, and like, you don't know what's going to work, what particular exercises are going to work in this medium. And I found it's been a bit trial and error. Some things will work really, really well in rehearsal room 
but will completely flop over Zoom. Have you found that? 100%. Um, and I, I guess what's been quite exciting about that is there was a freedom that goes with it. Mm. Or, or there certainly was kind of for the first six months <laughs> of we don't, we, we, we don't know what we're doing. I mean, we do, but we don't um, in this kind of, kind of context. And um, out of those kind of moments of, of things dropping or not working the way you, you thought they might work, there's a real joy to kind of be able to find a new way of doing stuff. Mm. Um, or an alternative way of doing stuff or, or something totally different um, and I guess now it's that kind of now I think there's a different kind of pressure which is we've been in this long enough I think that we're telling ourselves oh we, we should know what we're doing now yes. and actually as a, as a practitioner in the real world um, you know you, you develop over years and years and years and like I'm, I'm a very firm believer that I will continue to learn and develop um, as I move forward. Um, so this idea that within kind of six months or a year we, should, we suddenly should be brilliant <laughs> online facilitators <laughs> is, feels a little bit silly. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely put that pressure on. I, I yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there. The, the kind of first thing I wanted to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes onto this podcast. How did you first get interested in theatre? Um, I uh, have three big sisters um, and two wonderful parents. And our parents would always take us to um, theatre in Bristol, because it was closer for us at the time, um, to the Hippodrome, and we watched the big shows. Um, and then when my middle sister, who was five years older than me, was old enough, she joined Went Young People's Theatre which is up in Abergavenny, so it's about half an hour away. Um, and I can remember going and watching some of her shows and sitting in the audience and thinking, oh, really wish I was up there. Mm. Um, I want to be part of it. Um, and so I was very, very lucky that when I was 13 in the Millennium, um, it was supposed to be 14 to join, but they had a special project and I managed to slip in uh, under the guise of this Millennium <laughs> project, which bizarrely was sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> um, and so through Gwen, Gwen Young People's Theatre um, I actually had a brilliant um, grinding um, with brilliant Steve Bellman and Gary Meredith and Jane Boone um, and um, connected through George and Georgina um, around theatre and all the different aspects that um, are involved in it or can be involved yeah. in it um, and I kind of, as a result, didn't I didn't do it in school as a subject because I felt like I was yeah. getting such a good grounding externally, um, and I was loving it. So that's that's kind of where I. And was there a moment where you thought I want to do this professionally? This is what I want to do. Uh, do you know what? I did National Youth Theatre for two years when I was seven, sixteen, seventeen, I think. Um, and I think at one point, yes, I think that there, there was a desire that, that I could do this um, professionally as a performer. Right. And there was a conversation with one person which um, all but blew that away from me, um, a negative conversation, uh, which if I look back in hindsight now, actually, whether, whether that conversation should have happened or not, set me on a path which I'm very, very thankful for now. Um, but it's not a conversation I think a young person <laughs> should have to no. have with anyone. Um, and I ended up uh, actually studying music instead, um, which I really loved, really, really loved. Um, and wasn't planning to come into theatre. And, uh, and it was only when I moved back to Wales that I kind of landed in theatre mm. and haven't looked back since. Uh, and you, you talk about that conversation, like... How, how did I, if you don't want to go into it, we don't have to. But how did that affect your your confidence at that point? It was really interesting because I think it part of it made me really want to prove that person wrong. Really prove that person wrong, um, and I, I think that's that kind of um, 
I don't know what that was. Um, but I really wanted to prove them wrong. And then the other half of me kind of went, oh, there we go then. Right. Because I think, um, like, I, for me, um, in, in Gwent Theatre, the likes of, and I still have this with Jane Boone to this day, um, <laughs> Gary and Steve and Jane, they're gods. You know, mm. here I am, a young person, and they're, they're these brilliant creative individuals who are, who are making work I get to be part of. Um, and so I think when someone who is a leader, whatever capacity that leader is, um, diminishes people in that sense, it's, it's really difficult to bounce back from. Mm. You also kind of, I think there's an assumed authority, or there, there isn't, there's an assumed authority, there's a, a real authority, there's a, um, you know, who am I to question you? So I guess there's a part of me that just went... Because you are far more experienced than me, and you obviously know what you're talking about far more than I do. So I'm yeah. that, yeah. So, so you went to study music at Edinburgh. Uh, what was your time there like? Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so in school, I was always um, as a high attainer. <coughs> I like to think I put a lot of effort into my work, um, and I was, you know, some might call it lucky, some might not, um, but I, I received quite a lot of attention because of my my grades and the fact that I was a male doing theatre and music, and at that point in, in my kind of school, there weren't many many boys doing that, um, right. and then I got to university, so I was very, you know, studious and I got to university and suddenly I didn't have anyone looking over my shoulders I'd literally gone to the other side of the country because I'd, I'd grown up around this in my head at the time I'd grown up and spent 18 years with these people and many of them I really loved but there were other people I wanted to meet and yeah. a lot of the people kind of went to Cardiff and Bristol and Swansea and that's fine that's great I wanted to make sure I was as far away <laughs> as possible <laughs> Um, and flipped a coin and went to Edinburgh um, and I got there and I don't know if it was like a flip of a switch but just um, something let go right. and I think that's when I started to experience life I don't think I was the best student I know I wasn't the best student <laughs> <laughs> but I was you know I'd, I'd been very realistic with myself and said I'm here 50% as a student of the university and 50% of a student of life. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't all fun and games. I got myself into um, an emotionally um, unhappy place towards the end of my second year. And so I took a year out and worked for a year. Yeah. Um, you do four years in Scotland. So it's that, at that point, it's kind of like at the end of first year. You do right. two years to kind of um, level the playing field. And uh, so I took my year out and I came back and I worked um, hard, but it was weird because I was then in a different year group. Um, I was involved with musical theatre and I loved that. It's given me a bit of cheese and a bit of dancing and tap. And, yeah. um, so it was, it was a big mesh, but I, there was a lot there that I learnt. Um, mm. And there are people from Edinburgh who, to this outside of um, COVID times, you know, I would still go to Scotland twice a year yeah. um, for those people. Um, so, uh, it, yeah. And after uni, how was it for you trying to place yourself in the industry and, and kind of trying to break through? Did, did you know what you wanted to do after uni? When, when <coughs> excuse me, when I graduated, I, um, didn't think about what I wanted to be doing. I just thought about where I wanted to be doing it. Right. Um, and I'd had a number of part-time jobs in, in my third and fourth year, and uh, one of them, and, and this is retail jobs mostly, retail and bar, and one of them posted a supervisor position just as I was graduating, and I thought, well, I really want to stay in Scotland, so I'm going to take that job, and I'm going <laughs> to stay in Scotland. Um, and I had a gorgeous little flat on Rose Street, which is right in the centre of Edinburgh. And I just worked in, in that clothes store for a year. Um, 
until I absolutely had no money whatsoever. Right. And which point had to accept defeat and go, okay, I'm going back to Wales. And <laughs> um, uh, took a transfer to a Welsh store that was opening, um, which was a really unenjoyable experience mm. um, for a year and a half, but was one of the most valuable experiences I think I've ever had because I kicked me and went, why, why are you doing this? You don't care what people wear. You don't care what you wear, so long, so long as you're warm and clean. Um, you know, does it matter what colour it is or, you know, what is it? No. Um, and that's whenever I started to go do something you care about. Yeah. Um, and so I got in contact with National Youth Arts, um, who, you know, been great when I was younger, and said, can we just chat? Can I, can I just kind of come and say hi and see what's up? Um, and they were very generous, and they put me back in contact with Jane Boone, who then said, um, check out hijinks, and that's kind of where my hijinks right. journey started. And from that, everything's kind of been networking and um, putting on from that. So what did you know about hijinks before you started working for them? Very, diff- very, very little, in, in all honesty. Um, I knew that they were an inclusive company, um, and actually, before I start, before I became a time outreach coordinator, um, I uh, was a part, was a member of Odyssey for two years. So Odyssey is the adult community um, group, and uh, at that point, the group was being um, run by Gaynor Lucker. Um, so I was a member of the group for two years, and uh, she very generously um, invited me to be. Uh, her assistant facilitator when she was working with Woodland Special School for those right. projects um, and so I think through that I started to get a much better understanding of what Hijinx was uh, as an organisation And what was your experience of working with disabled people before this? Did you have much experience? Very limited um, I at university um, one of my uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I call them majors, but the kind of heavier weighted courses. Um, so I did, rather than doing one heavyweight and then two, three, four mm. lighter ones, I did three heavyweight ones: um, composition, dissertation, and music in the community. And music community, music in the community was a two-year course where we had to create um, an outlet for people who wouldn't otherwise have access to creative practice. Right. Um, and for the two years, I worked with a day centre for learning disabled um, people uh, just outside of Scotland. So it was very limited. Um, I would be terrified to go back <laughs> and see myself <laughs> as a facilitator then. Um, but you know what? It was me starting out on my journey and learning. And actually, that's the most important thing, was, was being comfortable with trying a lot of people, I find, are worried about saying or doing the wrong thing. Was that your experience? Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and to, but to know the, the joy that I have learned through hijinks, particularly, is I will continue to say and do the wrong thing. Mm. Um, and I think what's, what's really lovely about particularly my, my hijinks um, participants is that one of two things happens. They either question why you've said it, in which case I'm learning, or there's a huge amount of humour around it because a yeah. joke will be made and, you know, I continue to learn, but I don't feel bad for saying the wrong thing. Yeah. It's, it's an education and that's... It's always, it's always evolving, it's always changing. We're all individuals, we're all making personal connections and um, it's like we were saying I can't remember, earlier, you know, we're... We're exploring how to work online now. That's a new thing. Yeah. Exploring how to work with different people. It's the same. Great. Yeah, it's the same skill set, isn't it? When you put it that way, we're always learning. We're always, we're always kind of developing all the time. Absolutely. So, like, um, as a director, how how have you developed your process as a director? And like, what is your process? And does it kind of depend on the project that you're working on? Sorry, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
much. No, I don't know that I've ever gone, I have a process specifically. Um, I think if I look at it from hijinks specifically, and, and, and I'm going to go to Odyssey, um, right. who produce a Christmas show for the Western Studio every year. Um, I think... Ooh, what, what is it? Uh, so I've been very lucky in, in that and worked with um, two brilliant writers, Linos Mai and Heaven Robinson, um, who uh, kind of do residencies with us. And I'm really keen that whatever we produce and create is uh, has the membership through it yeah. and is our, like there's a real sense of ownership for it. So um, as in a typical year, um, we would start looking at a Christmas show in January and we'd explore different frameworks that we might use for our show. Okay. And in the last couple of years, they've been um, existing children's stories and fairy tales. Um, and we'll, we'll pull those, frame, those, the, those stories apart and we'll look at them and how they might connect to the membership. Um, and there are some themes that keep coming up, for example, independence, um, and, and the very uh, nuanced views I think people have on independence um, or around independence. Um, and then the heaven or the Sinos or the whoever that may be uh, goes away and they spend some time and they pull all of those brilliant ideas together and they create um, the actual script based on mm. the framework. And then we bring it back to the group and the group will pull it apart and then we'll come back and so it's that kind of really nice process um, and then alongside that each year I try and set one challenge um, so the first year we did that was um, the Snow Queen and we worked with Citrus Arts and James um, to turn the Snow Queen as a story into a circus right. uh, so there was lots of lovely circus skills workshops there and I think in terms of directing a participative group um, or cast there's got to be an element of challenge and that feels really important for me as a director um, that it's not just regurgitating the same um, thing you know yeah. ultimately a framework is a framework and whatever words you put in the middle of it that's, that could just be the same and it's about really exploring what's exciting in that framework that you can pull out and create some challenge around and some learning um, and so I think that feels really important as well um, and then from September, <laughs> we attempted to do a rough block in a very small room with 30 people of <laughs> what that show might look like um, until we get to full weekends and before the show right. in the uh, Millennium Centre. And that's when we bring in one of our youth theatres who work on the project and um, a group of young people from Woodland School who work on the project and totally, <laughs> totally usually... Uh, re-block and re rethink right. re create everything um, because it's a new space and I think that w when you're directing how much are you informed by uh, the participants and the actors and taking their thoughts and opinions on board but also kind of keeping your vision as a director intact do you know what I mean mm. I think uh I, I, well, I would like to think there's a nice balance of the two. Um, I think it's really important. I think there's a danger um, that I could, I could approach something and go, no, this is what that character's feeling, and this is, this is um, how they're probably going to say that. As an example, hopefully feeling you know, all well-intentioned, when in reality... That process started with this, this membership back in January. And it's their ideas which crafted this script. And so for me to walk in like a month and a half before the end and go, no, no, this is how it should be said. Um, <laughs> yeah. Feels, feels like I'm, I'm robbing an individual of their right to express that character how they want to express it. Yeah. I'm not saying I've never done that. I'm 100% <laughs> sure I have done that. Um, even if it comes down, and I think this is where it's difficult in terms of the clarity of intention of line. I think delivery is, there's a slight difference between delivery and intention. Right. Wonder. Um, but I think it's really important that actually each 
each actor gets to approach their character for themselves. Because mm. otherwise the world's a really boring place. We're all different. Yes, yeah. And giving them the freedom to do that, but also allowing them to sit in this framework, which ultimately you are in control of. Um, 100%. And actually, do you know, there's, there's, there's a real joy. There's Some of the stuff that's come out from, from the individuals is infinitely always going to be so much better than anything I can sit down and plan. <laughs> because it's yeah. uninhibited and it's original. And if I sit there on my own going, oh, what can I do? It's always going to be limited. Like second guessing, oh, what would they, whereas where they can, they know what they want to make. It's just for you to facilitate that. Uh, 100%. And uh, on the topic of that, what do you think are the barriers for participation in the arts, both on kind of a community level and a professional level, for learning disabled artists? Um, learning disabled good, people, rather. That's a good question. Um, I think there's many, many, many barriers. Some of them are shared with other um, other groups and other people. Um, specifically, learning disabled and neurodivergent people. Um, I think their access, and I say access in two ways. I say access in terms of making sure that people have what they need to participate. Um, but I also say it in terms of access of information. And I think this has become particularly, um, or been particularly re-highlighted in the last um, year with the um, very real and very strong presence of Black Lives Matters um, in the sense of organisations talking about diversifying um, and often the response being, oh, well, we, we put a call out and no one responded. <laughs> And actually yeah. not taking ownership for if we want to connect with a certain community, it's our responsibility to go out and um, find those individuals and explore um, what's going to work for them so we can connect and participate together. Um, and I think there is, I, I'm, I'm very personal view, I think there isn't probably an organisation that couldn't be doing that more. Right. If we all have so yeah. much more we could do with yeah. that. And there's, you know, there's funding and stuff that comes down to that as well and, and what resources you have. But if we're really honest, access to that information and then access to the room is huge. And that's both for, for participative work and for professional work, I think. Um, uh, and do you, do you think that there's, that creates a barrier that um, disabled people, learn disabled people most specifically feel that, oh, this is not a world that they have access to it. This is not all that is for there. Um. Yeah, possibly. I think I think it might even, in some cases, not all cases, but some cases, go one step further to um, not even knowing it's an op it's an option. So not yeah. even in the case of I don't have a, I can't access it. like I, I don't I don't think it's something I can do, just not knowing its existence. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even even our really swift response to, to move everything online to make sure people aren't isolated and that we're all remaining connected through COVID, mm. you know, we've learnt. It's not new information, but we've relearned um, that working online isn't for everyone. It's, it can be a really difficult space to exist in and to navigate. Um, uh, and kind of being more, working with people to try and make it a better space for them. Yeah. And it feels important. Definitely. Uh, and in terms of, like, do you feel also, just in a wider sense, for the artists you work with who are more kind of professional ambitions, do you feel that there's still a thing of, oh, hijinks work with learning disabled actors, so we as a mainstream company, we don't have to do that. Possibly a little bit. I think that's definitely diminishing. Definitely diminishing. And I think there's a, a, a strong move towards, um, rightly so, um, 
people with lived experience telling their stories. Yeah. Um, but um, we now have a, a casting strand and um, a job strand in hijinks, which is aimed specifically at working at looking and providing opportunities for our actors from professional and employment. There's still a lot of work to be done at much, much, much greater higher levels than we mere folk at hijinks around pay and what people right. can accept as payment. Um, and there's a, a lot to do in terms of the wider industry's understanding of um, access again. And that yeah. this time I'm not talking specifically about kind of your venue. I'm, I'm talking about things like if you um, would like someone to be prepared for an audition, don't send them besides um, 12 hours before and say, I'll see you there. Give people time to actually explore and get to know them. Um, yeah. Think about when you're on set, um, how busy those things might be, that those spaces might be, um, and what additional spaces might be useful for people to have, or if there's any additional forms of communication that might be useful. Mm. Have the conversations, because actually having a conversation isn't isn't a bad thing. It's a really positive thing. And also, like, have the conversation with the individual, because they're going to yeah. know their needs better than you are. But I think people forget that as well. well. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm going to move on slightly. I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about Hijinx's Able to Act project, which is where Hijinx worked with uh, young disabled people in the city in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that project. I love that project. Um, so that was funded by um, uh, Wales for Africa. Welsh Gov, um, and we worked with Don and Cymru um, to deliver that. It was, do you know, it was really interesting. We actually started that project in 2016, right. and we went out on um, a short visit to kind of explore what we could do with, uh, within Lesotho. Um, and the reason that we that that was chosen as a kind of area, a geographical area that we might work in, is is because it's. Um, paired with Wales as a country, both in terms of population and geographical spread and makeup, and, <coughs> um, and we got there. And I think the intention at the time had been to take one of our existing small pieces of theatre and tour it around. Yeah. Um, and literally, as we were flying over um, in this tiny little plane, <laughs> tiny tiny little plane, um, going into Maseru. Um, I turned around to um, the other person I was with and said, "No, no, no, no! That's not what we're doing here, is it? This is this is a very different project. It's about um, connecting to people and um, exploring exploring how things work um, for different people in different contexts. Um, I think it would be very easy for us to." drop in, parachute in, do something and disappear and actually there's, there's very little meaning in it's, that. It's a bit kind of, if we don't, like, you know when people say like white saviorism, we're here to show you what we do in Europe and this is what you should do. Do you know what I mean? Did it feel a bit like that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really pleased that we very quickly recognised that that was, that's not something that it should be. It shouldn't be that because we don't have the experience of living in the situ and so there is absolutely no way we can walk in and go this is what you should do um i mean i don't think we should be doing that really i, th- I think there is there is learning you can share without having to say how to implement it yeah um, i think that's where we hopefully ended up in the situ um <clears throat> so in the situ if you are born with a disability you are seen, often seen as cursed okay. um, and quite often um, you get left on the side of the road um, if you were born disabled and um, collected and taken to um, a children's centre or um, a kind of a village outside of towns um, which are ostracised 
and one of the one of the places we connected to um, Police Nong uh, Children's Centre, beautiful, gorgeous um, centre up in the hills um, in the north of the country, um, totally self-sustained, <coughs> uh, created and founded by a disabled woman who <laughs> still ran and worked and uh, mothered uh, something like 150 children and young people, um, all who have um, different backgrounds and different stories and different um, um, needs. Yeah. Um, and but just hungry. And oh, and it's worth saying that the as those children and young people grew up, they became the staff who were working in the centre. So oh, they were wow. kind of self feeding. Um, and what she was really keen to explore was, um, and what she liked about hijinks was this idea that you can do more. You can do anything. Yeah. Irrelevant of anything. Um, you know, every, every person has the potential to do everything. You just kind of have to have, have that belief and that um, vision and opportunity, I think. Yeah. Which is what she really liked. So we took uh, four of our academy actors, one from each part of Wales, um, out to Lesotho for two weeks in 2018. And we worked with Police Anong and um, Machabang, which is the International College. So that's where the children of the, um, I think it was an 11 party coalition <laughs> at the time, the children of the elite uh, go to school. And we created okay. a little cast, um, an inclusive cast, which uh, over the course of a week um, produced this new uh, piece of intercultural and bilingual, trilingual um, piece of theatre yeah. um, with no lights, no costumes other than t-shirts um, and we toured it to five venues, some of them had double performances um, and it was the most incredible experience. What, what, was um, the, what was the response from the audience to the piece that you made? Good, and I think I think because because it um, it very much was about this partnership of two groups coming together and exploring communication with each other and, mm. and how that exists and what kind of um, what elements we bring to ourselves of communication. So there was this lovely part, um, but one of our actors, Justin, was taught how to gumboot dance. Okay, um, and you know. There was a real education there for me in terms of how we've been um, educated to exist as an audience member. By which I mean, more often than not, if we see a piece of theatre, we we wait and we sit and then we appreciate the the appropriate time to appreciate. Yeah, that's not a thing in the city. <laughs> yeah. So the moment that Justin's doing his thing, you know, there is talking, there is explanation, there is yeah. um, cheering, there's whooping, there's you know. There, there was such a, an amazing response from people just to being participating as an audience member, which was really exciting. Um, and then on the very last day, we were in a, a venue which is actually twinned with St. Fagin's, right. the um, Morija, the uh, National Museum and Archives. And they'd organised two performances for us. And the first one was um, one of the more scary, scary experiences when hurtling down the hill towards this um, tiny little concrete stage came a thousand children <laughs> <laughs> and no teachers. Um, but they seemed to really enjoy it. Um, and then we had a break and in the afternoon there was a private girls' school who came to watch it. Right. And it was about 25 of them, 30 of them maybe, and um, I was watching them from behind absolutely convinced they had no idea what was going on or why they were being made to watch this um piece and almost as it finished one of the girls from the cast who was in match um totally unprompted came to the front of the stage and just started speaking to this group of girls from the private school right. and this conversation started happening and it was happening in Basutu, so I, I i wasn't sure what was being said the education coordinator from um, Marija came up and said to me, do you, know, do you know what they're saying? And I said, no, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Can you tell me? And she said, um, Incietso, who is our actor, um, from Machabeng, um, is telling them about the experience of working with your actors from Wales, these, these four learning disabled people, and 
what she's taken from the experience. Wow. And they're asking questions about it. At which point I'm going, this is, this is, this is you know, you can't plan this. This no. is amazing. Um, and then once, once that conversation had finished, and so, yeah, so turned around to us and said, um, they're, they're saying that uh, we've shared something with them, so they, they would now like to share something with us. Mm-hmm. And so they came on stage and they taught our actors at the game. Oh, wow. Um, and we all played it together. <laughs> and it was just one of those moments that I, I think will always stay with me because it, it just, it stopped being about anything other than play and experience yeah. and humanity and connection. And I think we, we miss those moments, particularly now. But um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, and you, if you listen to those four actors, um, Gareth, Laura, Justin, and Victoria, who came from Wales, and they talk about that experience, it's um, yeah, it's quite powerful. Mm. That's, that sounds amazing. So, kind of the, the next thing I want to um, ask you about is just before Christmas, you're part of Hijinx's. 12 Days of Pope project. What was your role in this as head of Pope? And um, what kind of uh, work were you able to showcase? Um, <coughs> so I guess that's connected to um, Odyssey, who every year um, create a piece of theatre for the, the Western Studio in the Millennium Centre. And it's, it's become very much... Um, a staple part of the calendar, but a very, um, for me, it's really emotional. Like I, the, 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 you know, that's, that's, that's my, that's my baby. And that's what I love. Um, and so one of the hardest things I think in the last 12 months is, was having to say to those groups, we're not going to get to do your Christmas show this year. Um, and there's, yeah. you know, there's nothing we can do about that other than support each other and be excited for when we get to do it next year. Um, but that was, um, and so Twelve Days of Pope was born as a an opportunity or an alternative to what would have been a Christmas show. Um, but uh, it was a bit of a gift because it widened the reach um, or participation from just Cardiff. Right. and actually allowed us to bring in people from other parts of Wales. <coughs> so it was a, a 12-day event that happened throughout um, December where each group got to share at least one thing they'd been working on in the last um, three or four months um, and also included an incredible amount of taster sessions um, thanks to some lovely funders that we had, um, Community Foundation Wales and um, Cardiff Third Sector and children in need who all um, allowed us to connect with new people at a time when people need connection. Um, and then really excitingly, um, nor, uh, traditionally Odyssey would work with um, the University of South Wales Creative and Therapeutic Arts Department, who um, for the last three or four years we've run um, placement sessions and projects through four special schools yeah. for their students. We then create artwork which becomes part of our performance but also creates an exhibition in the Millennium Centre and that obviously couldn't happen this year <coughs> um, but we found new partners with um, illustration students from Cardiff Metropolitan and uh, University of South Wales and together uh, we created placements for one one uh, artist with each of our groups and they oh, created yeah. incredible illustrations which we then made an online exhibition which sat alongside the 12 days of power yeah. um, and then the millennium center incredibly generously um offered to have those uh, illustrations blown up and printed and they put them in the windows along the side of the millennium center uh, for the month of december oh, so it became a, kind of a really lovely event to keep us all going <laughs> I, I, I guess yeah it made everyone one feel just a sense of joy, I guess, that you could still do something even though it wasn't what you normally do. Absolutely, and I think um, I think what's been it comes back to that thing we were saying um, at the very very start about the 
the it's it's a, this isn't a situation anybody wants. No. But it's a situation we're in, and we've got to find what we can to celebrate and make use of through it. Um, and I think what that's done is made me go, do you know what? Next Christmas, even if Odyssey is back in the Western Studio as we hope, and um, whatever that looks like, I don't think it's probably going to be the same as it was. But whatever that looks like, if we're back, that can just be part of the Twelve Days of Pound, which means all of the groups around Wales who fall under Pound are now part of something at Christmas and that we're showcasing that to more people um, and that feels really exciting and really important yeah. Um, yeah. particularly at the minute um, so I should probably just say as well um, we were really lucky to get sponsorship from Cardiff and Bale um, Health Charity for us to reignite a project which has been dormant for a couple of years right. which is our house band Vaguely Artistic um, and I had the, the notion that we would all do well with a little bit of music in our life. So um, we wrote, we, we created a new lyric group um, from members from each of our groups um, who wrote the lyrics to a Christmas charity single. And then we um, had the band come together with the composer Tom Elstob, who um, crafted, through the magic of Zoom, <laughs> their ideas into into a song <laughs> and then we recorded them bringing people in one by one yeah. to a recording studio and produced this um, lovely little Christmas song called A Vaguely Different Christmas now available on all iTunes Spotify and all streaming <laughs> services um, but it's it, I think that kind of really spoke to the heart of what the 12 Days of Power was that joy that you said that um participation that kind of sense of belonging we, we used um we, we sent the song um to all of our members and asked them to record themselves singing yeah um, the, the second half of it so we we included those voices in it too so you know there was a real sense of ensemble and um hopefully unity through it um which felt really really important at christmas it was a strange time this year i guess you doing that Gave the sense of like unity and togetherness, and the hijinks is still together. Can do you get what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we we talk about it internally and externally, but we, you know, we call it our hijinks family. And I mm. think I think that's a term that could be um, pushed around by organisations really, really easily. Um, but I I don't think there isn't one member of of HQ staff who says it that doesn't mean it you know let's let's be brutally honest yes we're here and we're creating opportunities for our participants through a time which is really difficult and we're hoping that we're reducing isolation creating connectedness through that let me be really clear that's doing exactly the same for us these people yeah. are our family yeah. they're our chosen family and whether we're working or not their well-being is part of our well-being um, and I wouldn't change that so it's, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry, particularly at this time? Um, I would say... Um, Apply for anything and everything that speaks to you. Um, I didn't do that, so, so I'm learning from my lack of um, lack of doing. I, I I think it's really important to have the experience, not of not of rejection, but the experience of putting yourself forward. I think is really invaluable. Um, and if nothing else, it really helps hone your introduction. Like, <laughs> by which I mean. When you meet people and someone says, hi, Kieran, this is John. And then there's a, there's, there's a gap when John is supposed to film um, with what he does. And I'm awful at that moment. And people, people enter the gap and say, so what do you do? And then I make a really awkward joke and say, well, whatever people pay me yeah. to do. And I'm, oh, I feel horrible afterwards. So apply for everything because you'll help. It will hone down for you who you are and what you want to be as an artist. Um, knock on doors. Um, and I, I strongly believe this at the minute. Even if people appear 
to have short, um, as you will know with me, <laughs> um, <laughs> people appear to be rubbish at responding. Um, it's a crazy time. Mm. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with showing that you are dedicated to whatever it is you're getting in touch about. Um, I don't mind people hounding me. I'm just rubbish at replying. So actually, when people hound me, it, it reminds me that I'm not doing something that I need to be doing. Um, so I would say, select who it is you want to be in contact with and then attempt to be in contact. And if they don't reply at first, they're probably busy. Yeah. Reply again. If you get a, a negative response, go back and ask if they're really the people that you want to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were saying earlier about um, your own experience, it's like if they don't show kindness back to you, should you really be working with them? Is that a good environment to put yourself in as an artist? Yeah. Just... And <coughs> very personally for me, the answer to that is no, because that, you know, I, I know I recognise in myself as a person that I, I carry stress with me. I find it really difficult to let go of it and I. Um, that will be in my thoughts then for at least a week afterwards, if not longer, um, overanalyzing every little bit. And I think be really kind to yourself in that sense, like you said, and go, is, is this where I want my energy to be going? Um, and I guess alongside that recognizing there is never only one person who can give you that experience. It's just, yeah. it's, it's going back to our earlier conversation of going, who, what, what information am I lacking? And taking ownership of kind of going, right, I, I wanted to get this information, my information about me to this person, so I need to then do that and take the message to them. Yeah. Well, that's really useful. Thank you, John. It's been, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. That's just about it for this episode of In Lockdown With. But I will see you on the next episode. I'm not sure who the guest is going to be yet. But for now, it's bye from me. It's bye from John. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.